Thank you. Hi guys, hi ladies. My name's Evan. If we haven't met, I would love to meet you. It's a big part of why I'm here. So before we jump into a new series that we're starting tonight, <clears throat> I just kind of wanted to highlight a couple announcements. Uh, we got a brand new layout for our brochure. Um, nice and cut in half. We're going green, I guess. It's not just style. So if you look in there, two different things I want to highlight. Uh, the legendary date night is starting next week. So for those of you that have kids, whatever, that are under your supervision, 18 and under, that you want to have somebody watch, this is a beautiful opportunity. It happens the second Saturday of every month. Um, we got people that are grandparent age that come in and just hang out while we go out for like an hour, hour and a half. So it's an incredible thing for those of us involved with the church, but it's also a really easy and beautiful outreach tool to bring people in, um, let them experience our community, and then give them the benefits of a date. Um, it is important. It's underlined and bolded, but you got to let us know if you're coming because they want a head count. Apparently, we had too many date nights where 40 or 50 kids just showed up randomly, and people in charge don't want to do that, which makes sense. And then the second thing, uh, women's black elk hike. Um, used to be Harney. Uh, it's just you got to take advantage of the Black Hills in the next month, month and a half. This is the best time of year in my opinion, but it will not last. Um, and so a great chance to get outside, connect with people, and have a good time. Um, there's a lot of good stuff in here, so feel free. If you've got any questions, ask anybody in charge. All right, so we're starting a new series. It's entitled uh, Loving God and Others, Individually and Collectively. It's a six-week series. And we're going to delve into how we do this, how we love God and love others individually and collectively. And just the way that things were laid out for me, we're going to kind of flip it on its head and kind of look at collectively first and then delve into um, four weeks of how we can do it individually. <clears throat> if you wouldn't mind, I'm just going to take a moment and pray so that way my mind can focus. Um, I'd encourage you to do the same. That's why we're here. Uh, God, we set apart the next 45 minutes of our mental energy, our physical time, so that way we can know more of who you are. You are our priority. That is why we are here. Whether we're intensely in love with you or curious about you, we are here because of you. Uh, so I ask that you would do what only you can do, that you are, would allow your grace to come into our individual worlds and influence us in the way that we need to be influenced. You are our creator, you can save us, and you sustain us, and so we trust that you'll do exactly that tonight. Thanks, God. Amen. All right, so before we hop into kind of what I'm going to be looking at tonight, I need to uh, set a little context. Drew did this last week when he spoke, and if you guys weren't here, I would encourage you to look online. Um, he spent 30 minutes looking at why loving God and loving others is what we are called to do. But I just kind of want to do a quick little reminder um, of that um, or a refresher. So we'll start with a couple questions. Why were you made? It's a big question. If you have become a follower of Jesus, been redeemed, why did God break into your brokenness and begin to transform you? These are questions that people spend their entire lives trying to answer. And a lot of times don't figure out a solid answer on that. But according to the Bible, we are created and redeemed so that we, way we can love God with every piece of who we are and so that others 
can be loved by us in ways that exceed how we love ourselves. Our purpose as individuals and collectively as a church is to make God and his plans for us our top priority. A foundational component of God's plan for each of us is loving others genuinely and selflessly. As Jesus says in Matthew 22, loving God and others sums up all of the lessons and laws of the Old Testament. It's a heck of a statement. The gospel of Jesus teaches the exact same thing, that we are made and saved so that way we can more fully love our creator and humbly love and serve the people in our worlds. It really is that simple. That is why you are made. That is why you have been redeemed. The purpose of each of our lives, from birth to death, is to wholeheartedly love God and those around us. But what is simple to say is not always simple to live out. We live in a world that naturally turns inward. Instead of focusing upward and outward, humanity is innately geared towards self. We are born with a proclivity or a natural tendency towards selfish ambition with a deep desire for self-glorification. The idea of loving God above all else and selflessly loving our neighbor sounds good in concept, but it rubs against the very nature of our fallen being. But when a person is redeemed, they are given a new heart. God himself comes and resides within them and influences them to live the way that they were created to live but a battle still rages within them. Do I live for myself or do I live to love God and others? You know, in order to fight this battle well, God has given us weapons or tools so that way we can overcome the temptations to live selflessly, selfishly, and then be a part of God pouring his goodness into the broken world. Like I mentioned, the series is six weeks and what we're gonna do is examine two types of God's grace given to us community, and spiritual disciplines. Tonight, I want to look at going, I want to look at the power of the community for us. Next week, we're going to look at the power of the community for those around us. So you know how much I love the Bible, and so of course, that's where we're going to go. You know, I want to look at the importance, the biblical importance of a community first. Community is defined as a group of people living in the same place or having a particular characteristic in common. You know, a community can consist of two people or a thousand. Your family is a community. Your friends are a community. This is a community. At the core of both the Old Testament and New, the idea of community, of living with like-minded people, is just foundational. You find it all the way throughout the entire Bible. So God promises Abraham that he'll have as many descendants as the number of stars. Over a few hundred years, the Israelites grow into a nation. God then rescues the entire nation, not just a few, but he calls two plus million people to be his people. He calls, he teaches them how to love each other well and establishes different ceremonies in which they come together to worship the one who redeemed them. He also instructs them how to be a collective light for the world around them. In the New Testament, Jesus surrounds himself with a community of disciples. Right? Jesus is a powerhouse. He could have done it all by himself. But instead, he surrounds himself by 12 men. And then that grows 
there's different accounts that says 70 disciples, right? So he's surrounded by this community of people, a group of men who are all willing to surrender their professions and normal lives and follow a vagabond teacher. After his death and resurrection, we see the disciples continually gather together to support one another and to collectively fulfill their mission of telling the whole world about the gospel of Jesus. We then see Paul travel around the Roman Empire, creating churches or communities filled with people who want more of God's goodness through Jesus. I hope you're starting to see the point I'm trying to make. Community is crucial throughout the entire Bible. From the beginning to the end, we see community. Therefore, it must be a concrete piece of God's design for humanity to live the abundant life. Biblical communities have always had at least two common characteristics. They have been redeemed by God, and they desire to follow his instructions on how to live. You know, it's by no means exclusive. Communities in the Old and New Testament are open to and desire for more and more people to become a part. But the reason why biblical communities exist is because of their commonality of belief in God and the power of the cross. You know, it makes sense to me as I've been pondering this, and I've been thinking about communities a lot for the last few years, it makes sense why this is part of God's design. The benefits that people receive from their communities are huge. So let's go back to the Bible. For the Israelites and everyone that decided to join their nation, God's design for their community was to be centered on loving him and loving others. That's what all the laws were for. So that way they would focus on loving God and loving others. When the people lived out God's plan for their nation, there was a culture saturated with God's goodness. And love for one's neighbor walked out. Man, it had to be a place full of love and joy. A place where there's peace. People had patience and kindness towards one another. They were faithful to their promises. They were gentle. They exhibited goodness and they practiced self-control. Those are the fruits of the Spirit. That's what God brings into people's lives. That's what we all deeply want. And a community that's God-centered exhibits those qualities. For the disciples and the apostles who were bringing a revolutionary view of God and the world into harsh environments, their community brought them strength. It helped them push through their fears of being different than the common culture and brought them courage to be revolutionaries that God called them to be. And the benefit of a God-centered community are pivotal for people to experience the abundant life that God has promised and for the children of God to do what God has called them to do. So here's a couple more questions. Do you have a God-centered community that you gather with on a regular basis? A person, a group of people, or a church that you share life with. You know, I want to use Acts 2 to kind of see an example of what a God-centered community looks like. So Acts 2, 43 through 47. Shortly after the Pentecost, the disciples have been filled with the Spirit, right? They're about to be released to just do amazing things. And we get a slight insight into what their community looked like. Awe came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. 
day by day as they spent much time together in the temple. They broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. So what I want to do is to kind of pick this apart to see crucial elements of a God-centered community. The first one is that you need to sell everything you own and live communally. My wife and I, we own 12 cabins on eight acres that are tucked away in the national forest. We got this beautiful idea, and all it requires for you to be a part of it is for you to sign over everything you own to Bright Promise LLC. We got to make sure to keep it under the covers. Of course, this is not a universal truth, right? But what we see from this is that they were committed to one another. That's the first one. A godly, a God-centered community is committed to one another. And we have no idea how long this communal utopia lasted for them. It could be a couple months, could be a couple years. I think the reason they did it is because it was what was ideal for them in their current situation. Like I said, what we see from this is their commitment to be unified and to care for one another. You know, so often communities, friendships, or marriages fall apart due to disagreements over big or small things. A strong majority of the time, those disagreements should not be deal breakers. They are simply differing points of view over minor things. Let me give you a couple examples. First one, from my marriage. So the angriest that my wife gets at me is when I haven't spent time cleaning up the house. I know I'm not the only one in here, right? There is a good chance, right, because she's right, that I put away my own dishes and then proceeded to lay on the couch instead of helping clean up the meal that she just cooked for our entire family. Or I threw the clothes that I was wearing that day into the laundry basket and then walked past a huge pile of clean clothes on my way to bed. I understand her side of it, and I should want to help keep the house clean, but there are times that I want to relax. You know, from the outside, this sounds like such a minor issue, but when we are in the midst of it, it feels like World War II. And I feel like Pearl Harbor as she's the Japanese approaching, right? (laughs) This also occurs for churches. There's an author that specializes in helping churches stay healthy. He asked people in a tweet about arguments that their churches had. And he had like a list of 25. I'll give you three of them. A disagreement over using the term potluck instead of pot blessing. (laughs) An argument and vote over whether or not a church should have a clock in the sanctuary. Two different churches reported fights over the type of coffee. In one of the churches, they moved from Folgers to a stronger Starbucks brand. The spirit was obviously moving within that church. In the other church, they simply moved to a stronger blend. Members left the church in the latter example. Now, I know these are silly examples, but they point out a basic human trait. It is so easy for us to dig our heels in the ground and turn an insignificant thing into an excuse to draw arms and destroy important relationships. Over and over in his letters to the churches, Apostle Paul encourages them to stay unified. 1 Corinthians 1 is one example of that. Now I appeal to you, please, brothers and sisters, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you should be in agreement and there should be no divisions among you, but that you should be united in the same mind and the same purpose. Now this doesn't mean that we should always agree on the color of carpet in a church 
or the best way to effectively punish a child in a family. I believe Paul is referring to the foundation of their relationships, the gospel, that they have been redeemed by God's grace. He wanted them to remember at the root of it that the goodness that they experience is because of God's direct interaction with their lives. Even though many may have their own insights and wisdom onto what is best, they are all firmly relying on the redeeming love of Jesus for the life they have. And when a person remembers this, it's far easier to love those in their community, which is what keeps relationships strong. Colossians three twelve through 14 speaks to this. It's the exact same verse. Anybody got a Bible? I left mine at home. I couldn't find mine. Now Colossians 3. Thanks. You know, a really easy way to remember what those four books, what order Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians go together? Go eat potato chips. (laughs) You already know. It's beautiful. All right, Colossians 3, 12 through 14. Thanks, Kari. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you have a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. Thank you. Colossians three twelve through 14. When we approach people in our community with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, and above all else, love, then people involved are supported in whatever circumstance they are facing. You know, it's out of this mindset when I remember this that I do the dishes, that I maybe fold up a little bit of the laundry when I remember that I need to approach this community, my relationship, my family out of love. You know, this support, however, for me and for others is so often missed in a group because we believe that the group exists to serve us, to make us happy. But a community, for a community to stay strong and bring support for those involved, we need to enter in with the understanding that we are here to serve and love others. Galatians 5, 13 through 15 speaks to this. For you are called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love become slaves to one another. For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. If, however, you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. And I love that last sentence. It's so poignant. Just like, man, if you do this, this is what's going to happen. You know, often, a little bit of an example, people view the purpose of a church as a place to come where they are served. I know this one's a little bit more of a powerful statement, maybe challenging. They walk in and sit quietly. Then the musicians perform for them, and the teacher tries his or her hardest to inspire or to challenge them. Then they leave and point out the parts of the service that they didn't like. We so easily forget that the purpose of this type of community is to love and serve one another. So that's the first thing that... I see within the discipleship community, they are committed to loving and serving one another. 
The second thing, and they'll get shorter as we go, but gather to get, they gather together to worship God and learn about him. We see this in verse 46, the first part of it. If you wouldn't mind, Seth. Thank you. So day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple. Now for the Jews, the temple was and is their church. It is a place that they would come to learn from scribes and rabbis and to worship God. This is also where they would make sacrifices and gather for religious festivals. This was the house of God, the religious center. This is where the disciples spent much of their time. Now, I believe that this is an important part of a God-centered community because it reinforces the understanding that God is the center of the community. By gathering together to worship God and to learn about him and his plans for our lives, it helps create and maintain one's desire to live out their purpose, to love God and to love others. You know, my wife and I have had an ongoing discussion about the purpose of church, small groups and Bible studies. You know, we believe that a person can learn about God and experience him by themselves. You've got to think that we have incredible teaching resources and worship music at our, at our fingertips now. You know, God res- himself resides within us. If we make him our priority, we can experience him alone. Also, for me, so often, nine out of ten times, I completely forget what the sermon or the discussion of the small group was all about. So what is the point of these gatherings? You know, my, bro- my wife, Rosalind, brought up a really good point. These are times where we can be surrounded by God's love and truth. Church services and small groups are places that are saturated in a focus on God and his goodness. By spending time on a regular basis in these types of environments, a person's mind and emotions are reminded and at times overtaken by what is worthwhile. I love what Paul says in Philippians 4, 8. Finally, beloved, whatever is true, Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is, and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. For a brief moment throughout the week, we are removed from the onslaught of, our culture, of what our culture deems as good, and we are inundated with truth. I think this is why the author of Hebrews writes what he writes in Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. And let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day, capital day, God coming back, approaching. You know, coming to church, a small group, Bible study, whatever, it has nothing to do with gaining God's love or approval. It is so we can be influenced by what is truly good. You've got to remember that we are always being influenced by something. There's no middle of the road in this life. There's no neutral area where you just exist without being influenced. Right? We see and experience so many things throughout every single day, and they always influence the way we think and the way we feel. So we need to be intentional about being influenced by what is true. All right, so the last thing I see from the disciples gathering is that they spent time enjoying life together. If you wouldn't mind putting that back up. The latter half of verse 46, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. 
You know, I think a crucial piece of God, a God-centered community that is easily forgotten is that we need to live life together outside of the Christian bubble. We naturally compartmentalize our lives. We got time at work, time with the family, time at church, time with friends. Right? It's just so easy to categorize everything. But by doing this, our week is only influenced by our godly community a fraction of the time. What if you allowed those lines to blur a little bit and you reached out to people from your church or small group to go to the lake, to go to a post-22 game, to barbecue in your backyard? If you want more of the benefits of your godly community, then you need to reach out them to them on a regular basis to do different things. Right? By doing this, two things occur. First is our relationships with people in the community grow. You know, church is a great place to meet people, but if we want genuine relationships with them, then we got to do more. For me, the best way to go deeper with people is through shared experiences. I'm sure it's different for different people, but I found that biking, climbing, tubing down Rapid Creek, serving the poor, the homeless, whatever, this is what allows me to go deeper and experience more of the benefits that come from a godly community. And as these relationships grow, we are given more opportunity to genuinely love one another. You know, I believe that this is a major reason why a godly community exists, is so that way we can support people within that community. And if you only get to interact with them for five minutes before and five minutes after church, you have no clue what's going on in their life. You don't have the relationship in which they will text you and reach out if things are going wrong. But if you spend that time with them outside of this, that relationship grows and it gives you the opportunity to love them better. All right, so wrap it up here. When we become a part of a community that operates like this, we are significantly assisted in living out our God-given purpose, loving him and loving others. We are not made to live and operate alone. When a person chooses to isolate themselves or pull away from other Christ followers, they are such easy targets for Satan and their flesh to prey on. When we stay in the midst of a God-centered community, we are supported and encouraged in living the abundant life that God made us to live. But in order for you to be a part of a community, it requires for you to be intentional. And over the next five weeks, you're going to hear a lot about intentionality and how crucial it is to live life well. We must be intentional about what we do. To benefit from a God-centered community, you must make specific steps towards getting to know people and loving them well. So right now I challenge you, just this week, to make three intentional steps towards spending time with people and loving them well. Just three. Right? Seven 24-hour days lie ahead of us for this week, and you'll interact with so many different people, and I know you have free time. No matter how young your kids are, how many you have, right? I know you have free time. So I challenge you to, to make three intentional steps towards spending time with people and loving them well. It could be as simple as texting somebody, inviting them to have coffee or a beer, signing up for a small group, 
right, which you see in your bulletin. Setting aside time to help somebody you know is in need. Committing to go to a church, this church or another church that, you, that just fits you, committing to go for the next month. Just saying, all right, for the next month I will go every single week. Three small moves towards being intentional about being active in a community. I guarantee you, I promise you, in a month or two, you will begin to see the benefits of those three small steps. This is God's design, and when we choose to put it into our lives, then we receive the blessings that he has in store for you through those communities. Awesome. Let me uh, just short prayer as the musicians come back up. God, I ask that you would, through your spirit, just challenge us, that you would put it into our minds into our emotions, just somewhere put in front of our face how we can engage more with those around us. That you would give us insight into the benefits of a community and give us the courage to be active in pursuing that community. Thanks for being so interactive with our lives, God. Amen.